And this seems so old school, but believe me, it's very effective is to have a regular clock on the table. And yes, I agree. We all have smartphones in this day and age, and many of us have smartwatches as well. But this isn't for telling time. I mean, you can use it that way, of course, but it serves as a visual reminder that this meeting is timed. We're on a schedule, right? You're listening to Elevating Early Childhood, where we believe in leveling the playing field and bridging the gap between the world of preschool, pre-K, and K-12 education. I'm your host, Vanessa Levin, and I went from a pre-K teacher of 20 years to a passionate advocate for high-quality early childhood education. I truly believe that the work you do, yes, you as an early childhood professional, is absolutely crucial, not just for your students, but society as a whole. I believe that you deserve to have the tools and training that you need to do your job well, so you can really embody your role as a professional educator and your students can achieve their true potential. Listen in each week as I bring you real conversations with me and other early childhood teachers and experts where our mission is to guide you on your journey to becoming the most well-equipped and highly trained professional educator you can possibly be. All while helping you teach smarter, not harder, so you can live more. And there might even be a little humor thrown in here and there just to keep things light and fun. If you'd like to get started upping your early literacy game today, check out my book, Teach Smarter, Literacy Strategies for Early Childhood Teachers on Amazon. Do parent-teacher conferences stress you out? In today's episode, I'm sharing my best tips to help make your parent-teacher conferences run like a well-oiled machine. But let's be real. Parent-teacher conferences can create a lot of extra work for teachers and be the cause of great stress too. You see, there's a lot of prep work that's involved up front, right? Things like scheduling and assessments and report cards if you have them. You've got multiple conferences to plan for. And in some cases, if you have two classes, an AM and a PM, you're going to have double the work of your K-5 peers, right? So when I had, for example, 20 to 22 kids in each class when I was half day, that meant I had 40 to 44 parent conferences. Then add to that the fear of informing parents of a lack of progress or concerns that you have. That is really one of the biggest stressors for us, right? And then it's difficult to keep your conferences on track. You've got no-shows, conferences that run over their allotted time, and it just becomes a real nightmare really quickly. Now, some teachers, if you're lucky, you get entire days that are allotted for parent-teacher conferences. So you go to school in the morning, instead of seeing kids, you have conferences all day. That's the ideal situation. But in many parts of the U.S., primarily in the South, in those right-to-work states like Texas, conferences are done on the teacher's own time after your contract hours. Can you imagine? That is, in my opinion, a travesty. So how do we make conferences seem less overwhelming and stressful? Is it even possible? So in this next section, I'm sharing my own personal recipe 
for parent conference success. These are my very best tips that you can take back and use in your classroom right away. So you're gonna wanna listen up and watch until the very end. So here are some things you should keep in mind when scheduling your conferences. And some of these things you're gonna wanna do before your conferences even begin. So do you see how it's like planning a party? Like there's a lot of prep work in, involved before your conferences can even start. So you're gonna wanna make it super easy for your parents to sign up for conferences. And it's 2022, so I'm sure you're already using some form of electronic communication with your parents, right? If you need a recommendation for one, I have used Sign Up Genius before. It's free. There's a free version. You don't need the paid version. And you can do that really easily through Sign Up Genius. The next thing you're going to want to consider when you start getting ready for conferences is letting the parents know the purpose of this meeting, right? You have to remember that, especially if you're working with parents who don't speak English as their first language, in some cultures, it is not normal <laughs> to go to school and talk to the teacher for any reason, right? So you have to let them know why you're inviting them to come to this meeting. So I use these words, to discuss your child's academic progress, right? to let them know what this conference is about. It's not about venting, it's not about complaining, it's not about being confrontational. We are just sharing helpful information with the parents. Not every parent understands the true purpose of a conference, especially if it's their first child. Now, if somebody has uh, a couple of other kids and they've already been through this process, they've got an understanding already. But I just make it very clear in any communications, um, we'll be having a conference soon to discuss your child's academic progress. The other thing that you can do that is super helpful, that's going to also help you prepare better and not have any surprises come up, is you're going to send out a brief brief being the operative word, survey to your families after they schedule their time slot. And in this survey, you're going to ask them if they have any concerns that they'd like to discuss during conferences. It is so easy. Remember, it's 2022. We can all use free Google Drive to do this. It's super easy to create a survey in Google Drive. You can do it in less much less, in my opinion, than five minutes. Each parent gets a link to this um, form or questionnaire. They fill it out and hit submit. Everything goes into a nice handy-dandy Google Sheet or spreadsheet um, for you to review so that you have the questions in advance. This allows you to be prepared for any questions or concerns they have so that they don't surprise you, right? The next thing you're going to want to do is let them know exactly how long the meeting will be. This is critical for staying on schedule, right? So in my communication with them, you know, we're going to have this meeting to discuss your child's academic progress in preschool or pre-K. This meeting should take no longer than, and I like to use 15 minutes as the general rule of thumb. It's the perfect length for most conferences in my own experience. But as I say, um, I want you to be aware, you're going to want to leave yourself five minutes of a buffer between each conference, or at least five, right? So you're not rushing through each one. It is so easy to get off schedule when just one conference runs over, right? You don't want to inconvenience all the other parents 
who are waiting for their turn, you want to honor the parent's time. And this is going to help you do that. So I like to have at least a five minute buffer between each conference period. And the other thing that's really important, and I know it can be difficult, but offer convenient time slots for parents because you want to be aware of their circumstances and understand that not all parents can take time off to attend a conference during the day. What about parents who work the night shift, right? Some parents may have a job where it's difficult for them to be away. They don't have these traditional nine to five banker's hour type jobs, right? Or maybe they're in a situation where if they were to take time off work, then they don't get paid and therefore can't pay the rent or buy groceries to feed their family. Bottom line, be considerate and inclusive when it comes to offering conference times to your families. Another important decision that you or your program need to make before conferences is what to do with the child during the conference. Will they be welcome or not? But I have two cents to share on that. I do believe it is best to not talk about the child in front of the child, but I don't think it's realistic in this day and age to ask parents to provide their own childcare during parent-teacher conferences, right? This can be a real deal breaker for some parents who can't afford a sitter or they don't have any close family or relatives nearby to watch their kids. I have always worked in schools where the kids were welcome to be in the room. I just made sure that there were things set up for those kids to do during the conferences. Like for example, I would designate certain centers in the classroom as being open Um, And I would invite them to play at centers just like they do in the class every day. And they were comfortable with that. So that worked for me. Now, if my meeting area with the parents was in or near a certain center, I would say this area is closed because this is where I'll be um, talking to your family. Um, it, It usually wasn't a problem for me. Now, after you have your conferences scheduled, all that squared away, then put a printout like, Print out the conference schedule and put it on your classroom door because when you're having conferences, your classroom door is closed. So any parents that are waiting in the hallway outside your door, they're not overhearing the conference, you know, privacy, right? Um, So put that on the door. That's just going to be a little extra help for parents to know. Um, maybe they come and there's someone else there already and they know that they're going to have to wait their turn. It's just, it's just helpful. So just do it. <laughs> Trust me. Another thing that's crucial, this is really important, especially if you have families who you don't think will show up for whatever reason, send those reminders, send timely reminders. This is going to increase your conference show up rate, right? So if you use that electronic tool, whatever tool it is that you use, um, and I'll use Sign Up Genius as an example here, um, they have a very cool reminder email feature that you can enable to automatically send email reminders to your parents. And Sign Up Genius has a free plan that you can use. I don't have any association with them, but I have used their free version before. Now, the final thing that's really going to help in the long run, it's a very small thing, but very helpful. Have adult-sized chairs, please. 
Not everybody can sit or fit in these teeny tiny little chairs like we do as preschool teachers, right? A lot of parents, when they come in the room, um, in my experience, from what I've experienced before, is they'll come into the classroom and maybe they don't notice that there's like a table over here with adult chairs. The first thing they see is all those little kid chairs and some of them will go, oh, like where am I supposed to sit? So I always let them know when they enter, we're gonna be sitting over here so they can see the adult chairs because it's no bueno if you're asking um, people who aren't familiar with working in a preschool classroom to sit in those little itty bitty torture things we call chairs. So all of the things that I just mentioned are going to set your parents and yourself up for success. Next up is preparing for your conferences. <laughs> so we're just getting started here. Do you see why it's super stressful for teachers uh, to hold parent-teacher conferences? You're going to want to think next about your waiting area. You'll need a place for parents to sit and wait outside your classroom. And if you want to be a little extra, you can offer some prepackaged snack foods. Like um, yeah, I was at the grocery store yesterday and I saw individually packaged bags of Skinny Pop. You could put those out in your waiting area and put a real cute little like print out a little tag that says thank you for popping in to conferences or something like that. Pinterest is great for those kind of things. But if you want to be extra and you have a budget, but you don't have to, don't feel pressured to do that either. Do not feel pressured to have a fancy waiting area. I saw somebody online say, I light a candle. I'm like, first of all, that's not allowed in the public school. <laughs> Second of all, oh goodness, I can only see all the parents and their children running around and knocking that candle over. Like, you don't need to be extra. You need to be you. And it's more important that your conferences run on schedule and that they're productive and you're not stressed about them. So don't add to your stress by worrying about scenting the area with potpourri or whatever and having, you know, soft lighting and magazines. Don't, don't worry about that. Everyone's got a smartphone. They're going to read it while they're waiting. You're good. So another thing you're going to want to have, and this seems so old school, but believe me, it's very effective, is to have a regular clock on the table. And yes, I agree. We all have smartphones in this day and age, and many of us have smartwatches as well. But this isn't for telling time. I mean, you can use it that way, of course, but it serves as a visual reminder that this meeting is timed. We're on a schedule, right? Not so much that an alarm goes off or anything, but just lends this air of professionalism. Like we have this amount of time and we're going to, this is going to help you, you stay on track because it gives the parent and yourself a visual reminder that we need to stay on track. And of course, most importantly, you're going to want to have your assessment data collected. And if you do report cards, you're going to want to have those ready to review as well. So you're going to have your students' portfolios, um, their assessment data, and your report cards if you have them ready to go. And if you need ideas for how to organize or store your portfolios, I have always used a file crate. So, you know, like those milk crates that you see on sale during um, back to school time that college kids, I guess, use. I don't, I use them a lot in the classroom. So I'm not sure what their real purpose is, but I use them in the classroom as hanging file folder organizers. So they work really well for me. There's one file folder in each hanging. 
file folder. Um, and inside I put um, examples, right, of my students' work that relates to the report card or assessment data. And I actually put the data for each child in the folder. If it's if yours is digital, that's even better because then you don't have to worry about digging it up and putting it in the folder. And the report card, if possible, and if that's digital, then make sure you have that available to you at your fingertips at the table when you meet with them. Having all of these things readily available and ready to go, like right on the table, is really going to save you a lot of time and headache because you don't want to waste time scrambling around trying to find everything while the clock is already ticking and the parents are in front of you, right? So the next thing to remember is Well, I say rather try, try this because it's not possible in all situations, but I think it's worth giving it a try to sit on the same side of the table as your students' families, right? So it's really easy if there's just one family member attending the conference so you can sit directly next to each other. This just removes the barrier between you and it seems less confrontational. It seems um, more like this is a collaborative thing, just sharing rather than face-to-face where I'm telling you and you're listening. It's just a way to break down barriers. Um, But Then if you have two parents show up, now you have to make sure to let them know that the middle chair is for you because they're going to want to sit together. And that I've had situations where I've had three or four family members show up for a parent-teacher conference, and then it certainly wouldn't be possible. (laughs) So you have to do what works best for you in your situation, but if you can, try. Now, if all of this so far sounds like a lot, that's because it is (laughs) in this all has to happen before the parents even get there. Like, right? So now we're on to during the conference. So we've talked about how to prepare for the conferences, how to get everything ready just before the parents get in the room. What do you do during the conference? And this is all stuff, you know, they don't teach you in college, right? They they don't have a textbook like how to hold the best parent-teacher conferences or what's the secret formula or recipe for success. A lot of us learned this stuff through trial and error because let me tell you, in the beginning, my parent-teacher conferences were like ulcer-inducing. And so these are all the strategies I've learned over the years that I'm sharing with you here. I'm spilling the tea, so keep watching. Ready to learn new ideas not shared on the podcast that will help you thrive in the classroom? Check out our incredible professional development resource and support program at teachingtrailblazers.com. So you're going to make sure that when the parents enter, the portfolio for their child is sitting right on the table that you'll be meeting them at, right? And then you're going to use that assessment data or your report card, if you have one, as a framework to guide your discussion, right? So to start the discussion, though, this is really important, okay? So pay attention. You're going to use the hamburger method. Now, if you know, you know, right? In case you're not familiar with that method, we always start and end conferences with positive statements because we typically remember the first and the last things that were discussed. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the most well-behaved child in your class or a child who constantly challenges you. All parents want to hear good things about their kids right away. This is going to set their minds at ease because some parents come into conferences expecting the worst, which can make them defensive, right? 
So you might want to write up notes for certain students, you know who they are, if coming up with something positive is going to be a struggle for you. So for example, for the child who might refuse to clean up, you might say something like this. Henry really loves to play with his classmates. I can tell he likes being in our classroom. He likes it so much that he doesn't clean up, right? I didn't say that part, but the words that I said were true, right? We don't want to sugarcoat anything though. and We don't want to eliminate. We're going to get to um, those problems. I didn't mention that cleaning up is issue because this isn't the time to talk about our problems yet. And then I also like to share a little anecdote. If you have one, it's great. Um, Maybe like Henry enters the classroom each day with a big smile on his face. He always says good morning to me and his classmates. Something very simple. Now at this point, I have started the conversation, right? So now it's time to invite the parents to talk, right? I like to ask them a real simple question to open things up. Like, what does Henry say about school at home? That's one of my favorites because it's important to me that my kids like school. And now after you've started out with your positive, it's time to move on to sharing the progress. And this is when the portfolios and the assessment data and the report cards, if you have them, come into play. These things serve as evidence of learning to back up what you're saying about the child's progress. If you don't have these types of things in place, you're going to struggle with what you're supposed to talk about, right? It could be a free-for-all. It could go on for an hour. That's why assessment is so important. It's going to inform your instruction in the classroom, of course, but also it's going to be the framework for your parent-teacher conferences. So I like to review the report card or your data with parents first, And then I show them the portfolio and I call attention to how the things inside relate to the information I just shared with them, right? So if I just shared a fine motor assessment with parents that said, you know, this child was um, making progress with scissors, then I would have a scissor skill evidence in my portfolio, right? So usually what I do with that. Um, is I just give kids strips of paper and I have them snip, right? And then I put all the snippings in an envelope and write their name on it. And that goes in the portfolio. So I'm going to dump out all the little pieces from the envelope on the table and say, here you can see that Henry was cutting through um, the strips nicely, right? And then if Henry wasn't, because that's quite often a concern, and there were just two pieces of big giant strip in there and they had been ripped, I would say, you know, Henry is, um, you know, maybe his score and his report card was um, needs help or whatever. I don't remember. Then I would say, you know, and this is what I'm talking about when I said that he needs help with scissor skills. And so you're going to have evidence to back up what you're saying, right? It's not a dog and pony show where I show them cute artwork that their kids made. That's not what conferences are for. So to conclude this portion of the conference, I ask parents if they have any questions about the information that I just shared in the data, in the uh, report card, in the portfolio. So I'm going to invite them again at the end of this segment to talk, right? So at the end of each part of that hamburger, there's an opportunity for parents to talk because this is a two-way conversation, right? So now we're at the bottom of the hamburger, right? It's time to discuss, or the top, depending on where you started. (laughs) It's time to discuss a plan for 
the child. And so for those kids who are thriving in school, it may be as simple as saying something like, Enrique is doing really well in class. He's on track to being kindergarten ready by the end of the year. Great. For children who might be struggling with a certain skill, I might tell a parent what I've noticed at this point and then tell them my plan for improvement. So this is a nice way to ease into things that need improvement. For example, if Enrique was struggling with um, tasks that involved fine motor skills, that conversation might sound like this. I've noticed that Enrique doesn't enjoy using pencils and crayons or any activities where he has to use his hands, like cutting with scissors. So this is something many preschoolers struggle with. Have you noticed this at home too? And again, these I notice statements These are super helpful ways to address problems with a child's progress and also invite the parent to give their input, right? I always say, I noticed something and then have you noticed too, right? Because we need to be in agreement that this is an issue. And then remember how I said, this is something many preschoolers struggle with. This is critical, right? This is going to ensure them that it's normal and not something that they should be overly alarmed about. And I would agree that fine motor skills are something many preschoolers struggle with, right? So let them know that it's normal. This question at the end, though, about have you noticed too, it allows them to respond to the question you just asked. Super important. Don't skip it, please. (laughs) Next, I'm going to share what I've been doing in the classroom or what I plan to do to help Enrique make progress with fine motor development. And it might sound something like, we have many opportunities each day in the classroom for Enrique to practice these skills. And I've also used some techniques to help him become more comfortable with holding writing tools. And so then I'm going to explain what I used. If I gave him a short golf pencil, if I had him put a cotton ball in his hand, whatever techniques you've used lay those out for them. In the next part of your statement is going to be, but I think he would really benefit from doing a few simple things at home to help him feel more confident. Maybe like using a spray bottle to water plants or grass or playing with Play-Doh. Do you think that's something you could help at home? You could help with at home? Again, a question for the parent to respond to. So I'm saying what my what I've noticed and what I plan to do about it, or am planning to do about it, and then asking them if they can help at home. But I'm not asking them, I'm just not, I'm not telling them like, just do this, because I said so. I'm saying, he needs to build his confidence. Do you think that you could do something like that at home? And I'm nodding my head, right? Notice how I'm nodding my head, because I want them to agree with me. (laughs) I want to make sure that they know this is important enough that they need to help at home. And then This is the critical part. I'm going to provide them with some resources to do that because I can't ask them to help at home and not give them any support to do that, right? Because many parents wouldn't know how to fix that other than to sit their kid down and say, cut, right? And that's not going to help Enrique build those fine motor skills, right? So I'm going to give them particular resources. So in this case, I would provide the parents with a copy of my fine motor handout. So it spells out in plain English, no jargon, what fine motor skills are in fun and playful ways they can use at home 
to help your their child develop this skill. Now, I have a free printable for this. There's There'll be a link in the show notes, which is directly below the video if you're watching. Um, and if you go to pre-K pages, if you're listening along and you type in uh, fine motor handout, it should pop up. And then finally, I asked them if they have any questions about the information that I just shared. And then I'm going to address those concerns if they listed any in the survey, if I haven't worked those into our discussion already. So what I try to do when I'm going through the portfolio and the assessment data and or report card, I will try to work in any concerns they have during that time. So for example, if a parent says, I'm worried that my child isn't learning English uh, because we speak Spanish at home, if I'm going through the assessments with them or the um, uh, the report card, I'm going to say, and this shows us that he understands English and he is using it in the classroom when he speaks to me. I'm just going to do that really quickly so I don't have to spend a lot of time on it at the end. So I'll say, remember how I said uh, when we were looking at the portfolio or assessment data that he talks to me in English and so forth, I'll remind them that I addressed it then. But I try to sprinkle that throughout the conversation so that I don't have to spend like 20 minutes at the end, you know, we don't have that kind of time addressing this stuff. It also gives me an opportunity to go to some of my professionally written, pre-written parent handouts that I have, and those are also available in the shop. Um, Of course, our Trailblazer uh, students have access to them 24-7. So Trailblazers, if you're watching, just go grab yours right now. But if they talk about things like um, sleep issues, you know, he won't go to bed at night or toileting issues, or um, if you need resources to help them understand how to help their children recognize the alphabet or print at home or things, any, any of the problems that you might have. I have a bunch of handouts. I think I have like 16 or 18 maybe more um, different handouts that you can pull from. So I would pull some of those resources together uh, for each child and maybe even have them in the portfolio so I can just pull them out and reference them right there. Um, You mentioned in your survey that your child is having issues with toileting and you're concerned about it. Um, Here is a great handout um, about that that I'm going to give you as homework to our uh, meeting today. That's usually what I do. And that works really well. And it helps them feel supported and heard. Now, next is critical. And this is where you have to be a little bold because it can seem abrupt um, if you're not used to doing this. But to signal the end of the conference, I say this. Okay, are you ready? Thank you for taking the time to meet with me today. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And then I stand up. That's the bold part, right? Because if you keep sitting there, they will keep asking you questions and talking. So I stand up. What happens if the parent then wants to talk about more things that um, more go more in depth on issues and stuff? I'm going to say in response to that, first, I'm going to acknowledge that that's a valid concern or question and say, I'd love to give that the attention that it deserves or that issue, the attention it deserves. Why don't we schedule a separate meeting to talk about that? Because I have other conferences to do right now. And some of that comes from if you've been watching the uh, podcast or listening to it um, since the beginning, uh, Pat Quinn was a guest that we had on not long ago. And and that's one of his strategies that works really well. And you want to try that one out. And then you think you're done. (laughs) Oh, no, wait, there's more, right? 
after the conference, send a thank you message to your parents, right? For the parents who attended, you want to send them a thank you email, right? Or text or whatever your platform is used to communicate. I also like to make a blanket statement in a mass email. Um, like if you're going to do a weekly newsletter type of a thing or a weekly message to your parents, I'm going to say in there, thank you to all the parents who showed up or Thank you to all the parents who attended parent-teacher conferences this week, not showed up, who attended parent-teacher conferences this week, and it was a pleasure chatting with you all. Pretty much the same thing you said at the end of the conference. What this is going to do isn't going to make the parents who attended feel great. It's going to let the parents who didn't kind of feel guilty. And hopefully when you reach out to them and you say, I missed you at conferences, they'll be more, more likely to sign up for one. So for parents who no showed, I'm going to also send an email and that email is going to say, I'm sorry, I missed you today at conferences, or I'm sorry, you weren't able to attend uh, today's conference. I want to let them know immediately that they missed it um, so they can reschedule, right? Okay, so I know at this point that you have all the questions. So I'm going to address some of the most common ones I get right now. So how many times a year should you have parent-teacher conferences? If you hear nothing else during this section, I want you to remember this. Successful parent-teacher conferences show progress over time. You can't just have one. It really irks me that some people only have one at the end of the year. How do the parents know their child made any progress? What about the parent who thinks their child is a genius and already knew their alphabet on the first day of school, although they were just singing the ABC song? How are they going to appreciate all this fantastic progress their child has made unless you have beginning of the year parent meetings, right? So people then ask me, uh, when should I have these? And my answer has been in in the public schools, they're required. So for some of you, you're like, no problem. I got conferences covered and then some, but I really feel like there should be one in October because at that point you've had usually a month to get used to uh, the child and the child has had a month to get used to you and you've taken your initial assessment data, right? So you've collected all the information about what the child does know, and you're going to share all that wonderful information with parents at conferences. And then at the end of the year, you're going to show phenomenal growth by having another meeting. This is everything they learned in pre-K this year. Look at the growth. In the beginning of the year, he didn't know any letters. Now he knows, you know, 20 or whatever. You're going to show growth over time. So it's really important that you have two. Having just one, I don't think is effective because you're not going to be able to show growth. It's just going to be a dog and pony show of everything their kid knows. Um, So that's my soapbox. So I'll put that back now. (laughs) What if the parents want to talk about other kids in the class or other parents, like the kid who has meltdowns or the kid who had lice? So it's very simple. You got to shut that down because this, the conference is about their child and their child only. So I might say something like, Yes, I understand that that was concerning or upsetting for you. But right now we're here to talk about Enrique's uh, progress in school. And we're not going to talk about other kids. And if it's something that you wouldn't even deal with normally, uh, but maybe your principal would or the nurse, like I would say, I think you should talk to the school nurse about our policy about lice or what was the other thing? A meltdown is you could also say, I don't talk. We don't talk about other students to protect their privacy, right? It's really important that you have a way to shut those conversations down so that you don't waste any of 
the child's valuable conference time talking about other kids, which we don't want to do anyway. Uh, the next one's a big question, okay? How do you have a difficult conversation with a parent? Like maybe you have a concern about the child's speech development, right? So here's the thing. We could do an entire episode, and we probably will here at Elevating Early Childhood, about having difficult conversations with parents. My best advice to you right now is in the show notes below, we have a blog post about how to initiate these types of conversations because they're very delicate and they have to be done correctly in order to be effective. I will say this though, you're going to want to still start with and end with the positive always. And then the I notice statements are going to be key when it comes to addressing concerns. Okay. So if you're watching along in the show notes below, there'll be a link to the difficult conversations blog post at pre-K pages. And if you're listening along, go to the blog pre-K pages and type in difficult conversations and that will pop up. So when you follow this step-by-step plan that I have laid out for you here today, your parent-teacher conferences will go so much more smoothly and leave you feeling less stressed and overwhelmed. So that was a lot of important information in this episode. You're probably going to want to save this so you can come back and watch it or listen to it again later. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review if you found it helpful. Until next time, I'm Vanessa Levin, Onward and Upward. When I was a new teacher, I would have given up all of my sick days for a complete curriculum full of engaging, exciting activities for my pre-K students. I couldn't even have imagined one that was also research-based, standards-backed, and hands-on. Luckily, you don't have to give up anything. Not when that kind of curriculum is just one of the amazing resources available to you in the Teaching Trailblazers program. Get more info about the program and apply today at teachingtrailblazers.com. At the end of the school year, when all your students are on track, You'll be glad you did.